0: All right, well, it is good to have this opportunity this evening to study Timothy, a paradigm of discipleship. And uh, to set the course for tonight, what we're going to look at with respect to Timothy and his interaction with Paul uh, really focuses on, on four things that I want us to observe in Timothy's life. Four things. First of all, as we look at Timothy and see his life as a paradigm for discipleship, we will see, first of all, that he was a student of the Word of God. A student of the Word of God. And we're going to see that early in his life, right from the very beginning. And we're going to see that if we want to talk seriously about discipleship, it begins with being a learner of God's Word. Secondly, we will see that Timothy, even at a young age, as a young Christian was a blessing to his local church. We're going to look particularly at one very interesting text of Scripture in Acts chapter 16 that will bring this out and show how Timothy as this young man uh, was uh, an encouragement to his local church. And that's another characteristic of true disciples. Number three, we will see that Timothy was a follower of his mentor's instruction. We're going to see his His learning from and his imitation of the Apostle Paul as his mentor, as any good disciple, he will be a learner of the one who teaches, a learner both of that teacher's instruction and of his life. And then number four, we will see that Timothy as a good disciple transitions into the role of a partner, a co-laborer, and he will take on the mantle from the Apostle Paul, in preaching the gospel. So these four characteristics that make Timothy a paradigm of discipleship. Now before we look at them, just a few things about Timothy's background. First of all, Timothy is first mentioned in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16 verse 1, and he is designated there as a disciple, notice that term, a disciple who belonged to the church in Lystra. We'll spend some more time looking at that, but that's our first exposure in in the New Testament, anyway, it's our first exposure uh, to Timothy. He's from the city of Lystra. As well, we learn from that text that Timothy was the son of a mixed marriage. He had a Greek father, a a Gentile father, and a Jewish mother. Now, according to Jewish tradition, uh, the son of a mixed marriage would actually trace his ethnicity through the mother. And so in this case, Timothy was technically a Jew, even though his father was a Gentile. Now, we don't really know anything about Timothy's father. In fact, the only thing we know about Timothy's father is that he prohibited his son, Timothy, from being circumcised as a child. Circumcision was that act that would formally identify the child as being uh, one of the offspring of of Israel. Uh, but for some reason, Timothy's father did not allow that to happen. Now, at best, that means that perhaps Timothy's dad was somewhat interested in Judaism. Perhaps he was a God-fearer, but not a full proselyte. He himself probably was, the father was probably never circumcised, and so Circumcision to Gentiles was an abomination, and so he wouldn't let his son be circumcised. But more likely, based on this, we can come to the conclusion that Timothy's dad was probably just a a regular Gentile polytheist, just a, a regular pagan, married to this Jewish woman. And what we're going to find out a little bit as we get into this is that, Jewish, is, is that Timothy's mother was the one to bring the scriptures to her son as a devout Jew, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But the father played no role, as far as we can tell, in any kind of spiritual development in Timothy. Finally, one more thing about Timothy. Uh, really what brings Timothy into the spotlight is Paul's selection of Timothy at the start of the second missionary journey really as a parallel to the role that Mark had played on the first missionary journey. Mark, who had joined Paul and Barnabas on that first missionary journey as an assistant. Timothy is this kind of a man at the beginning of the second missionary journey. He joins Paul and Silas as we read at the beginning of Acts chapter 16. Now, just in summary, before we get into these specific qualities of Timothy, I like these two quotes, one by F.F. Bruce, who said, Of all the members of Paul's circle, there was none with whom he formed a closer mutual attachment than Timothy. Now, Timothy comes into Paul's life on the second missionary journey, uh, and that's around A.D. 50, and Paul dies around 8066, so Timothy spends really 16 years closely identified with Paul. So it's not even half of Paul's life, but it is, a, it is a, about a quarter of Paul's life. But Timothy was so closely attached to Paul that when we think of Paul today, we almost automatically think of Timothy at his side. These, uh, these two men were joined very closely together. Another quotation here by D. Edmund Hebert says this, their association, the association of Paul and Timothy, was longer and more continuous than that of any other of Paul's companions with the possible exception of Luke. We'll talk about that in two weeks. Luke. Of all his associates, none seems to have been so dear to Paul as Timothy. Now let's look at why this was. First of all, Timothy was a disciple, and and Timothy's discipleship is first of all reflected in the fact that he was a student of the Word of God. He was a student of the Word of God, and this scene that helps us develop this understanding of Timothy is actually the scene of Timothy's own upbringing at home. Timothy's discipleship began there, not under Paul. Timothy's discipleship began as actually a disciple of his own mother and grandmother. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 5, when Paul writes to Timothy at the end of his life, AD 65, perhaps AD 66, Paul writes to Timothy these words, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois, and your mother, Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. Pointing to the fact that when, when we talk about Timothy's faith in the one true God, it actually is traced back not to Paul specifically as the origin, humanly speaking, but humanly speaking, it traced back all the way to Timothy's grandmother, which goes to show that some of you here are grandparents. And, and you can play a role uh, in bringing the faith to your grandchildren. And you need to take that very, very seriously. That you need to be the, the grandfather. Uh, not just leaving it to the grandmother, like Lois, but the grandfather who brings a sincere faith into the household. And secondly, in 2 Timothy 3.15, we, we read this even more detailed, uh, detailed description about Timothy's upbringing. Paul, Paul says to Timothy, And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, the Hebrew scriptures he's referring to here, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. A reference to those Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah who would atone for the sins of his people. And that salvation would be by faith alone being justified according to belief and not according to works of the law. The Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures are clear in that reality. The just shall live by faith. Timothy's grandmother and mother were were both devout Jews, and therefore, uh, despite the, the 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 state of Timothy's father, these two ladies raised Timothy in accordance with the Shema of Deuteronomy chapter six, verses six to nine, in particular, of training children all the commandments which the Lord God had commanded, and perhaps even Timothy's name reflects that. Timothy's name means honoring. God. One writer says this in reflection of this. He says it is impossible to overestimate the value of teaching children the Bible. One reason why people know so little about the scriptures is just that they do not learn the Bible in childhood. And this is not just a responsibility to pass off on Sunday school teachers, although I know there's some in this group, and we are so indebted to your ministry to our children, but this is a responsibility to take upon ourselves as dads, especially dads of young children, to bring the Scriptures to our children, and right from birth, right from early childhood, make them learners of the Word of God. Now, just a couple of attendant questions here that are raised when we talk about Timothy's upbringing. The question would come in, well, when does Timothy then actually come to believe uh, that Jesus was the promised Messiah? It's a good question, and the answer to this would actually be that, that this part of his faith actually did come through the apostle Paul. You see, Paul had gone through Timothy's hometown, Lystra, during... Paul's first missionary journey. If we would look at Acts chapter 14, verse 5 and, and following, we would read how Paul came to the city of Lystra. And he uh, they begin to, to to minister and evangelize the city. And at first, the, the inhabitants of Lystra think that the gods have come down from Mount Olympus to visit them. And so at first, the, the residents of Lystra want to offer them sacrifices, Paul and Barnabas uh, vehemently reject and say, we're just like men like you. Uh, and then Jews arrive and, and they stir up the crowds. And then one moment you, you have the crowds wanting to worship Paul and Barnabas. The next moment they're taking Paul, the chief speaker, and, and stoning him, dragging him out of the city and leaving him for dead. And the interesting thing here. Is that as we read of this incident, there are amazing parallels between what we read in Acts chapter 14, verses 19 to 20, and what Paul says elsewhere. Let me just read Acts 14, 19 to 20. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, the previous places where Paul had preached, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul. Paul was the chief speaker. And they dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. And the next day he went away with Barnabas to Derby. So this was witnessed by what's called disciples. Not just Barnabas, but disciples. So Luke indicates that there were those in Lystra who had embraced the gospel that Paul had preached. There were disciples there already. There was the beginnings of a church there in Lystra. Now who comprised this number of disciples? Well, the answer to that is found in Paul's own words in 2 Timothy. As he writes to Timothy at the end of his life, Paul is in the Mamertine prison in, in Rome waiting his execution. And, and he wants Timothy to, to, to be ready for Paul's own passing. And so he gives Timothy his last, his last instructions. And one of the, the sections of the instruction has to do with suffering and persecution. And notice what he says in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions and sufferings which has happened uh, which such as which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and at Lystra. Which persecutions I endured and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Pointing back to this time of persecution, And, and Paul endured persecution on his entire first missionary journey, but especially there in Lystra. And Paul says, you followed this. You were aware of this. And so it is highly likely, based on these two texts, that we can conclude that Timothy was probably one of those disciples who had stood around Paul as he lay there bloodied on the ground, half-conscious, having been stoned by the crowds for preaching the gospel. One writer says this in response, the spectacle of such innocent suffering and undaunted courage made a lasting impression on the mind of young Timothy. In connection with these noble virtues, Timothy first came to know Paul as a messenger of the cross. And even just this reality can, can give us some insight as to why later on, as we're going to see, when Paul comes back through, through Lystra and invites Timothy to join his, his group, you can see why Timothy as a young man says, I want to follow this man. I want to be a disciple of this man who is a messenger of the cross in a full sense of the term. Let's look at the second quality here. Uh, He is a blessing to his church, a blessing to his local church. This is what makes a disciple. This is how you can tell a true disciple. True disciples will first of all be students of scripture, students of God's word, taught God's word, a learner of God's word. But secondly, a true disciple is going to bring encouragement to God's people. And we see this with Timothy. And notice again this text in Acts chapter 16. This is now, uh, this would be after the conversion of the the conversion of of, uh, Timothy. And Paul is on his second missionary journey now, and he comes back through this region of Lystra. And we read these words. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Now get this, he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with them, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Notice that, first of all, Timothy here is called, again, a disciple. He's called a disciple. In fact, what's interesting to note is that in in the original in Luke's Greek, as he describes this scene, he actually adds this exclamation, behold. And so the text would read this way, if we would bring this into the English translation, it would read this. Paul came also to Derby and Lystra, and behold, there was a disciple there named Timothy. And it's as if Luke has this sense of excitement that there is this new person coming onto the scene who's going to enter Paul's circle, and it's this young disciple, Timothy. At this early stage in his life, Timothy had attracted the approval of of these believers there in Lystra and, and of Paul as well. And so he is described as being well spoken of. He had a good testimony He brought encouragement into the church. Where he was, people liked to be with him. Even though he was young and perhaps timid in the faith, he was one of those who who brought this sense of refreshment to fellowship. And this is what true disciples do. True disciples are not those who always bring negativity to the context. They are those who will bring encouragement. And certainly the believers in Lystra, this early church, Spoke well of Timothy. And in fact, not only they, but the believers in the next city had also heard of this Timothy. Perhaps Timothy had visited, and they too, in this other local church, had become encouraged by Timothy's lifestyle. Now, a quick question that comes in response to Acts 16 1 to 3 is why did Paul have Timothy circumcised? What's the, what's the deal behind that? Remember back just a little bit previous to Acts 16. Acts 15. In the beginning of Acts 15, Paul is in Antioch. And some Judaizers come from Jerusalem and start telling the Gentile believers in Antioch, listen, if you want to be part of the church, if you want to be a true disciple, you have to be circumcised. You have to become a Jew before you can become a Christian. These are just Gentiles. And a great dissension arose, Luke says in Acts 15, or beginning of Acts 15. And so Paul heads down very worked up to Jerusalem and they they all get together and they agree circumcision is not part of the gospel circumcision is not necessary for gentiles and even Titus goes with them Titus is just a purebred gentile and you can imagine Titus showing up there in Jewish Jerusalem pretty much the only gentile around and they're all talking about him and his lack of circumcision a little bit uncomfortable for Titus. But Paul leaves Jerusalem with Titus not being circumcised, but being fully welcomed as a brother in the Lord. So Titus wasn't circumcised, but then why Timothy? The answer is, is actually simple that the reason why Timothy was circumcised had to do with Timothy's lack of circumcision as a Jew being an obstacle to the evangelization of other Jews. You see, Timothy, as an adult male with a Jewish mother, being of the ethnicity of Abraham, was an affront to the Jewish people. They wouldn't listen to him if they knew that he wasn't circumcised. It was almost better to listen to a Gentile who wasn't circumcised and had good reason not to be, than to listen to a Jew who had never been circumcised. So Paul goes and circumcises Timothy for one reason, and that is to remove an obstacle to the preaching of the gospel. In fact, Paul says elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 20 that he's willing to to do as much as he can, not to be an obstacle to the spread of the gospel. And so he says in 9 verse 20 of 1 Corinthians, to the Jews I became as Jews so that I might win the Jews. And we see that with Timothy the beginning of his life. Nothing to do with salvation, only to do with the furtherance of the gospel. Another quick question that's raised here is, how old was Timothy when Paul Paul invited him as an assistant? This is an interesting question. There's not a lot that we can look at, but there is one text that would suggest that Paul was somewhere between the ages of maybe as young as 17, perhaps as old as 27, when Paul invites Timothy to join him on his missionary journeys. And the reason uh, that we can draw this conclusion is that in, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, there is a description used of, by Paul to describe Timothy. He says, let no one look down on you in your youthfulness. Paul writes that, Uh, around AD 64, perhaps, AD 63. And he uses the term youthfulness. Now, that Greek term youthfulness could be used to describe somebody between the ages of even mid-20s all the way up into age 40, not over age 40. So at the very most, when Paul writes to Timothy in AD 63, Timothy is at the oldest 40 years old. At the oldest. More likely, I'd say, in his mid-30s. Now, that's AD 63. Take 13 years away from that to AD 50, when Paul invites Timothy to join him on that missionary expedition, 13 years earlier than the writing of 1 Timothy. And so that's Timothy's age. So if he was 40 at the oldest, it meant he was 27 at the oldest when Paul picked him up there in Lystra. More likely, he was at least five years or more younger. And and I would just say this, Timothy was probably as young as 17, more likely 20, 23 uh, at the youngest uh, when Paul picked him up. And my question in response to that is today, How many men at age 20 would fit the category of Timothy? How many men, if you're 20, how many men here, would Paul would come and say, Him, right over there, I've heard of him. I want him to join me, especially considering the fact that Paul had just dealt with the issue of Mark and Mark's problems on the first missionary journey. This sets Timothy apart and, again, makes him an, an exceptional disciple. Number three, the third quality that makes Timothy a, a, a paradigm for discipleship. Number three, he was a follower of his mentor's instruction. And, and we see this particularly in, in how Timothy relates to Paul. How Timothy, once he's on the missionary team and is traveling with Paul, how Timothy relates to Paul and how Paul describes that relationship. And and we see this through Paul's references to Timothy as his son or his child. And and certainly when Paul references Timothy as his son or his true child in the faith, certainly that is a reference to Timothy's conversion under the preaching of Paul. But it also described an ongoing relationship. uh, uh, Timothy didn't stop being a a child to Paul after his conversion. He kept that going. And so Paul, even, even 16 years after the conversion of Timothy, is still referring to Timothy as a dear child in the faith. Even at the end of Paul's life, he is referring to him as my beloved son. That describes the attitude of Timothy towards Paul. He he was a follower of his mentor's instruction. His teacher gave him counsel, and Paul listened and obeyed. His teacher provided a model, and Timothy imitated. His teacher gave him tasks, and, and Timothy complied. We see a wonderful picture of this in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 17, where Paul writes to the Corinthians, For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved And faithful child in the Lord. And that's written around 8055, so five years after Paul first invited Timothy onto his missionary team, eight years after Timothy's conversion. My beloved and faithful child in the Lord. One writer states Timothy was a faithful follower of his spiritual father, capable of revealing the father's ways to his Corinthian brothers. He stood in such a close relation to Paul that he had become thoroughly permeated with Paul's spirit and teaching. So much so that Paul could say to the Corinthians, here's Timothy, believe him. Here's Timothy, he's my representative. Here's Timothy, he knows my spirit. We see this relationship also reflected in the two letters that Paul writes to Timothy, we see Timothy's uh, attitude reflected in the way that Paul addresses Timothy. And and when we read First and Second Timothy, you don't read the kind of tone that you'll read in, in the letter to the Galatians, where Paul is dealing with a, an obstinate people, a, a stubborn people, or, or the Corinthians, they're 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 chaotic and divisive. No, when Paul writes to Timothy, there's a much different spirit. And so you have these these statements like 1 Timothy 6 verses 11 and 12, But flee from these things, O you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, and love. You can see the heart of Paul coming through in these kinds of exhortations. Or in 1 Timothy 6 verse 20, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter, and so on and so forth. F.F. Bruce again states, All the affection which a father could feel for a like-minded son, Paul felt for Timothy. And in return, he received from Timothy all the service and devotion which a son could give his father. This is a paradigm for discipleship. This is how it is supposed to work, even within the church, as, as we talk about spiritual relationships, of spiritual childhood and spiritual fatherhood, that, that the, the, the relationship that we see in the physical world finds an analogy in the church where there are men who have sons in the faith, and we have sons who have fathers in the faith who are capable of expressing these kinds of deep emotion and gratitude. Another writer writes, Timothy lived with Paul as Paul sought to imitate the example of Jesus Christ. Timothy saw the Christian life as it was set forth in the life of Paul. It was his great purpose to live up to the ideal himself and to teach other Christians how to realize the divine standard of character in the midst of their own life situations. Most men come to their understanding of what it means to be a Christian by observing the life of a true follower of Jesus. And that's so true. When you look at the, 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 the leaders today, many of the leaders today will trace back uh, their, their, their Christian life to the impact of men in the faith, whether their own fathers or other men, who invested in them at an early stage, and that that was instrumental in developing them into the pastors and elders and leaders and great husbands and great evangelists uh, that they are today. This is what it's tied to, this, this kind of relationship of father to a son. And Timothy's life illustrates that. Number four, our fourth and final point. Timothy was a partner in a common cause. Timothy was not just a learner. And this is true about disciples. They don't just always stay as those who are learning. Remember one of the things that Paul says, or that the writer of Hebrews says to the Hebrews you should be teachers already, but you're not. Right, you, you have immaturity. There is a time when a disciple has to stop just being a learner and he has to start doing the work. That's what makes a true disciple. A true disciple makes the transition. He, it's not that he stops being a learner, but that he takes on a new responsibility of, of actually doing the work himself. And that's what we see with Timothy. Timothy becomes a co-laborer in the gospel. And that Timothy wholeheartedly embraced the same ministry as Paul is evident in several things. Let's go through these quickly. First of all, it's evident in the way that Paul designates or delegates ministry duties to Timothy. He doesn't just have Timothy at his side all the time, but he goes through the process of saying, okay, now you've seen me do it, you've heard me teach it, you've observed my life, now I want you to go and do this. You go do this and then come back to me. And we'll talk about it. And we see this with 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 paul and timothy so paul even on that second missionary journey just a few months after timothy joins the group paul is leaving him in different places to remain with the new church the new believers that had just been converted as paul heads to the next city and leaves timothy there and says now, now you stay there and then come back to me after a while or else paul uh, Paul will, will send, he'll dispatch Timothy, as we read of in the Thessalonian correspondence of how Timothy came down to meet Paul in Athens, and, and as soon as he gets to Athens, Paul says, I'm on my way to Corinth, but Timothy, you go back up to Thessalonica. They need you there. I can't go there. You can. I'm on my way to Corinth. Go up there and minister to those believers, and Timothy does. He says it to the Corinthians, I have sent to you Timothy. Timothy. In Acts 19, verse 2, he sends into Macedonia Timothy. In Philippians 2, verse 19, he sends to the Philippians Timothy. And then, of course, as we know, Timothy eventually becomes headquartered in the city of Ephesus, where he becomes Paul's semi-permanent apostolic delegate in that very important church in the city of Ephesus. There in Ephesus, as we read in 1 Timothy 1, verse 3, Paul leaves him there, To do Paul's work, Paul doesn't say that Timothy becomes one of the elders. Timothy doesn't become a bishop over churches in uh, in Asia Minor. No, he becomes the the, the representative of of Paul, Paul's apostolic delegate, Paul's apostle, Paul's sent one. Timothy's very unique role as a disciple. Secondly, we can see uh, Timothy step up into this Uh, this responsibility by the way that Paul includes Timothy in the salutations to his letters. Now, this is fascinating uh, that we see Timothy's name in almost half of the salutations uh, of Paul's letters. So Paul writes 13 letters in six of those letters, six of them. Timothy's name appears in the salutation. In the Thessalonian correspondence, Paul and Silvanus or Silas and Timothy. To the Corinthians, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus and Timothy. Philippians, Paul and Timothy. Colossians, Paul and Timothy. Philemon, Paul and Timothy. No other name appears like that in these salutations that often. Obviously, Paul had no problem saying, Timothy is beside me. He is a co-sender of this letter. Third, we see it in Paul's description of Timothy to others. As Paul describes what Timothy is doing, we we see how Paul describes Timothy's ministry. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes to the Thessalonians and says that Timothy is our brother and then says this amazing term. Timothy is not just our brother, he's God's fellow worker. Amazing. God's co-laborer. That's how Paul describes his disciples. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 10 and 11, we read Paul say this about Timothy. Timothy is doing the Lord's work as I also am. He's doing the Lord's work as I also am. Almost to say, Timothy is is here. Look at Timothy, and, and you know what? Put me beside Timothy. That was Paul's attitude towards his disciples. No competition. We're just doing the Lord's work. And in Romans 16 verse 21, Paul calls Timothy my fellow worker. And that word for fellow worker is the same word from which we get synergy from. Synergism. A co-laboring together. Both parts equal in their participation. That's how Paul looked at Timothy. And of course, one of the most beautiful statements... That Paul ever wrote about anyone is found in Philippians chapter 2. I wish we had time just to exposit this text. It's so rich. Let me just highlight one statement from verses 19 to 24 of Philippians chapter 2. Paul says, I hope to send Timothy to you shortly. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Timothy was such a good disciple of Paul that, Timothy, his, that Timothy's heart beat for the same things as Paul's. It's, it's kind of like that, you know, when a husband and wife are together for many years, they start to look like each other, and that's neither a good thing for the husband nor the wife. But there's that kind of reality that takes place, right? You've noticed that maybe. And it's, it's like this way in a good sense that as Timothy spent time with Paul, he started to look like Paul. He started to beat like Paul. He, he started to be concerned like Paul. And so Paul says, no one else, no one else has the same kind of concern. And that's what disciples do. They take on the convictions and the passions and the loves of their mentors. One writer said, never did Paul allow him such, such freedom in the praise of any of his co-workers as in this tender and generous outburst of feeling concerning one who had toiled with him in the holy work and whom he had come to esteem as his genuine son. Number four, we see it in how Paul handle, hands the baton off to Timothy, the baton of the gospel ministry. We read this in phrases like 1 Timothy Oh Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. I've given it to you. Now guard it. 2 Timothy 2.2, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, now you entrust these to others also. Or in that great closing, that exhortation of 2 Timothy 4, where Paul says, now I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearance in his kingdom, Timothy, preach the word. You've received what you need, now go do it. Paul wrote these words months or perhaps weeks from his death. And finally, we see it in Paul's summoning of Timothy at the end of his life. Right at that time, through 2 Timothy, Paul summons Timothy to his side. This is Paul's final writing. It takes place while Paul was in a Roman prison cell, the Mamertine prison. Paul knew his death was imminent, and he asked for two people to come and join him. In addition to Luke, Luke was already there. Many had fled out of fear that they would meet the same fate as Paul, but Luke stayed, and Paul calls for two people. He says, Luke is here with me. Pick up Mark, and you come. Be with me. Be with me. Timothy was true blue. And gave Paul the best that was in him. He was faithful when others flickered. Paul could count on Timothy to the limit. He could trust him anywhere and all the time. That is loyalty. And loyalty is probably the fundamental train or trait in character. Timothy would stand true when others had failed. Now, did Timothy guard what had been entrusted to him? Very interesting text. There's one more place outside of Paul's letters and Luke's writings where Timothy's name appears. Hebrews was written most likely after Paul's death. And we have this very simple statement of Timothy that indicates that after Paul's death, Timothy hadn't fled. Rather, we read this, Hebrews 13.23, take notice that our brother Timothy has been released with whom, if he comes soon, I will see you. The idea being that somehow Timothy himself ended up in jail, in prison. And the natural assumption is that this probably was due to the preaching of the gospel. According to church history, some time later, Timothy will be martyred for his preaching of the gospel. And I'm sure that when he entered heaven, Paul was delighted to see the final destiny of his true disciple in the faith who imitated him even to the death. D. Edmund Hebert says this, Timothy had a singularly attractive character as set forth in the Scriptures. He was a devoted and lovable person, warm-hearted, tender, and affectionate, deeply devoted to his spiritual father and guide. He was happy to work under Paul's wise guidance and instructions. He lacked Paul's bold aggressiveness, and he did not have Paul's, Paul's commanding personality. He evidently was described to be timid and somewhat retiring feeling that perhaps was increased by his youthfulness and his lack of robust health, but he proved himself to be a faithful and a loyal worker. That's a true disciple, man. And this is what all of us should be striving for, no matter what age. We must be those who are students of Scripture, those who are a blessing to the local church, those who are true and faithful to our mentors' instructions and those who don't just listen and learn all the time, but who will join the ranks of being co-laborers in this glorious gospel ministry. Let's pray that the Lord would make us such men. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the testimony of Timothy. We, we thank you for the descriptions that we read of him and the real life that we read attached to his, his circumstances and how he could be such a man even though he grew up in a divided home and he could become such a, a leader because of the investment made, first of all, by his mother and grandmother and then by Paul. And how you have made it so that the, the beautiful charge of the gospel is, is really not just something that is on paper, but it's something that's communicated by life, life to life. We pray, Father, you would make us the kind of disciple that Timothy was. And we ask it for the good of your church, for the good of the spread of the gospel, and for your glory. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, that we pray. Amen.